Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Hemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome to GEMS Podcast. I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Rena Watts. Here's a bit about Rena, y'all. She is a woman on a mission, and there's not much Rena Friedman Watts hasn't done in her professional life. She scoured the NPR newswire for stories, combed through hundreds of small claims cases, worked on reality TV shows such as The Jerry Springer Show, Court TV, and Nanny 911. She's worked in radio. She's planned mega events for the telecom and finance industries. She secured sponsors and emceed. She books sensational and hard to get guests such as Howard Schultz, Barbara, oh my gosh, Cochran, Ken Coleman, and Derek Sivers on Kathy Helley's Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast and boosted the downloads from 4 million to nearly 15 million. Y'all, what an establishment. Rena has a God-given talent for connecting people and building communities, and she bestows her magic on people in the most selfless and genuine way. Ideas for how people can achieve the fantastic flow out of her head as effortlessly as breath flows into her lungs. Her diverse background and skill set allow her to seamlessly weave in and out in into and out of multiple markets and find her way through doors that open for others. She coaches entrepreneurs on how to get unstuck and find their first clients. She gets blurbs from influencers for their best-selling books and she even helps them grow communities of their own. So that's all. That's all of what Rena does plus some. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Rena Watts, aka a hustler, change maker, and consummate connector. Imagine what can she do for you. Thank you. Excited to be here and connect with you. It is amazing, Rena. When I was reading your bio, I was like, wow, this is impressive. Rena has done it all. And I love that you're so versatile and that you do a lot of things on the forefront as well as behind the scenes because it shows that you can't be compartmentalized. It shows that you're an out-of-the-box thinker and you're going to level up in all areas of your life by making those boss moves that is conducive to your personality, whether it's personally or professionally. And that's what it's all about because I feel like sometimes in life, people want us to be a what and not necessarily want us to encompass who we are, what we were created for, and what we could bring to this earth. And I know you have your own show called Better Call Daddy with all that in the background. So I want you to start off by telling us a fun fact about yourself because we all know a bio is just a bio. And there's so much more to you, Rena, than what you put on your bio. That's a great question. A fun fact is I used to love to sing from a very young age, And when I was little, I used to sing over cassette tapes. So I would put in like a Gloria Estefan and, you know, one, two, three, four, come on, baby, say you love me. I'd sit down my grandparents, my siblings, my parents, I'd hit play, and then I'd put on performances for them on the couch. And what's funny is that 
that led me to wanting to go to a youth performing arts high school. And I walked in there in the same way and thought you could just sing something off the radio and get in. But that was my first real lesson of read the fine print. Everybody has a process. Sometimes you'll get a no, and then you have to figure out how to re-perform or re-pitch yourself to get in. So when I auditioned for that youth performing arts school, I didn't get in. I didn't sing a song in a foreign language. I didn't perform an art song. I didn't even know how to read music at the time. And so I got rejected and my dad went to the head of the music department. This was the beginning of daddy going to bat for his daughter. And he was like, look, whatever we got to do, if I need to get her voice lessons, if she needs to learn how to read music, if she needs to learn how to sing in Italian, we'll do that. Give her the summer to catch up and let her re-audition. And they did. They let me re-audition I guess my dad worked his charm and I ended up going to that school that I really wanted to. And that was really pivotal in what has shaped my career. That is amazing. And now I could see more how the reality TV is coming into play and podcasting on top of, you know, you being a mother because motherhood is just, that's a whole nother ball game. And sometimes people think, oh, you're just a mother, but no, you know, you're the choreographer because you never know what activities your kids um, need help in. You're the project manager. You project manage the stuff that's going on in your house, as well as the activities outside of your house. Like you're the super mom or the superhero without the cape. There's so many things that goes into being a mother that I feel like people from the outside looking in, they just don't get it because they don't have children. And it's no discount or disrespect to them. It's just, you don't know what it feels like because you don't have kids of your own, you know? Oh, I can really speak to that. So this year has been the year of patience. Monday and Tuesday of this week, my son had to stay home from his play group, my two-year-old, because there was another kid in his class that the sibling tested positive for COVID. How many times this past year? I've got four kids. Have I had to reschedule podcasts? Have I had to reschedule coaching clients? Have I had to really juggle in trying to do things in the evening after my husband, who's the breadwinner, is done with his nine to five? So I would say, you know, people make all these lofty goals of, oh, you know, next year is going to be my year, right? But what COVID has taught us all is that there's got to be some leeway in that. There's got to be some patience there. We've got to get creative in how we can do it all and how we can lean into our strengths and how we can be good parents and good neighbors and good citizens and all of those things. Exactly. And I feel like COVID also taught us all to hit the reset button because there was a period where the playing field was level for everyone, no matter like your socioeconomic status, no matter if you made X amount of money and you got laid off where you lived or whatnot the world was shut down and you had to learn how to live within your means. You had to learn how to adapt to your home because, you know, the malls weren't open and the different things that we took for granted was gone. And so we all were forced to be confined into our own homes. But there were some people who just, you know, shrunk and there were other people who just really took that and they ran with it and they blossomed and created something amazing. Like they started their online business, they wrote a book, they started podcasting or whatever the case may be. 
but you have to look at life in a new vantage point whenever situations happen to you because they don't just happen to you, but they also happen for you, for you to grow. It also stretches you and that stretch is going to help you personally as well as professionally. So when you think about all the things that you're doing, Rena, as I mentioned in your bio, what was the hardest thing that you endured in life so far and how has it helped you where you are now? I've been asked that before. Funny for a Toastmasters speech. And the thing that always honestly comes to mind is something negative because the hardest thing I had to endure was someone that I trusted in business screwing me over. And unfortunately, I feel like you've got to learn that in order to tighten up your processes, right? So I am a very trusting person. I'm a small town girl and I got into business with some sharks. And this happens. Unfortunately, I feel like it happens to women a lot that have boundary problems. And so, you know, I was working for a financial firm and I was the marketer. I wasn't the person doing the business deals. So it was my role to get the people to come to our events, to market the events, to relationship build. I loved that part. So somebody that we did an event with told me personally, that they preferred to work with me and not my boss. And they wanted to make me a partner of their firm and they wanted me to leave where I was at. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy is like giving me access to all his clients and I see how profitable that can be. And I got enamored by that, to be honest. I was like, wow, instead of making this steady 50K, I can go and make what my boss is making. And my phone was the one that was ringing. So I was like, oh, he's not gonna screw me over even though he's screwing my boss over, right? But you've got to recognize those red flags and it's very hard to protect yourself. And I didn't have in place good contracts. And the people that told me they had my back and told me to trust them were using me. And that was a really hard lesson to learn, the hardest. And so unfortunately, yeah, I mean, that just, that changed everything for me. Like, you know, I'm not going to go into business with anyone now because of that experience without a solid contract and, 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 um, a game plan in place, you know, because you can spend so much wasted time doing work for people and not get paid. And you really have to protect yourself in business. And even with the podcast, I was like, look, I'm putting my own investment into, the podcast, you know, I copyrighted the name and I'm paying an editor and I'm outputting a lot of stuff. And you have to be careful with who takes ownership of that or how much control you give the guests. And, and, you know, yeah, there's, there's just so much to think about as a business owner, but you really need to think about contracts and game plan and deliverables before you decide to sign on to projects. That was the biggest thing I've learned as an entrepreneur. And I'm so glad that you learned that. It sucked that you went through that situation, but the the beauty of it is now you know more about what type of contracts to put in place. Like, do you need a non-compete? Do you need an NDA, non-disclosure agreement? What type of business acumen do you need to have? What type of people do you need in your dream team? Do you have a lawyer on retainer? Do you have a person that would look over your contracts, like a procurement personnel and et cetera? And all of those things like come whenever you go through a hard situation. And the reason why I mentioned that is because I spent 15 years in corporate, 12 years in oil and gas and energy. And my degree is actually in supply chain and logistics, but I did a lot of 
contracts, MSAs, mergers and acquisitions, master service agreements, non-disclosures, and all of the proprietary information. And sometimes even whenever you work for a conglomerate or that Fortune 500 company, there are certain things that you can't do as an employee, but they want you to do it for them, but not in your personal life. So if they found out that you were doing it in your personal life, for example, if you were if you were on the board of directors for a nonprofit, you had to disclose that to your employer because it could be a COI, conflict of interest. So they wanted to know about that. And I was like, this is what I'm doing in my personal time, my personal life. But there are so much stringent rules and regulations that are in place because they don't want you competing with them or, you know, their other business partners and et cetera. And it wasn't until I got laid off in February where I realized, oh my gosh, the possibilities out here is just so endless. And I had to ask myself a hard question. How much are they paying you to sleep on your dreams? Because you're so busy building up someone else's brand, empire, legacy, foundation, the same amount of skills that you have for yourself, you could take that and, you know, advance it. And whatever you're not good at, you could outsource it. So does that ring a bell? Oh my God, that was such a good response. And all of those things that you mentioned, I don't even have experience with all of those, but I can tell you, I had to think about the non-compete situation. I hadn't signed one. They wanted me to once I was bringing millions of dollars of business in. He was willing to give me a bigger cut if I stayed. And I was like, wait, I need to think about this. And I can tell you too, and, and now outsourcing work, I have corporate clients who are paying me to pay others. A lot of times you have to think about that as a business. And, you know, I interviewed a guy on my show who was doing millions, hundreds of millions in real estate. And then 2008 happened and the business fell and his business partner sold him out. And if you don't have an exit plan, you're the fall guy. So there's, there's just so many things as a new entrepreneur that you have to think about to cover your own butt. Yeah. (laughs) CYA y'all CYA. And then with you having um, a background in reality TV, there's some sharks in reality TV. Like, Oh my gosh, I always wanted to do something in the entertainment industry and just inside (laughs) tip. So before I went to real school, I went to acting school because just like you are close with your dad, I was super, super close with my dad. I was like, I really want to go to acting school or do this. So my dad paid for me to go to the Neil Hamill agency and all of this stuff. But then I found out that the acting industry are sharks. There's so many people and it's like, oh, if you know that person, I could slide your name up the list or I could get you this casting call or whatnot. So how did you break into reality TV And how has that influenced where you are now? And what tips would you give to somebody? Yeah, that's a great question. So I broke into reality TV really at the forefront. I started in the talk show industry. And what's interesting is that I worked for an NPR station in college where I started off just reading the news and weather. And I wanted to work in radio until I found out, one, what it paid. (laughs) And uh, two, I saw that a flyer for Jerry Springer was looking for interns in the same courtyard the day that I interviewed at WGN and they didn't have an opening or I didn't get the job, not even sure anymore exactly what that situation was. But I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. I was a big fan of the show. I walked across the courtyard, Jerry, Jerry, yes. And I, at the time, didn't even realize what an incredible opportunity that was, but that was my first job out of college. And so I Walked over there, same day, got a hold of the intern coordinator, got through security, started two weeks later, right after I graduated. And 
honestly, it was a training ground for everything that I've done in my career. It taught me how to book a good story. It taught me how to, it taught me how to get people out on stage and tell their story in an interesting way and, and help them when they forgot to say something to get back out there and keep going for it. It taught me how to manage budgets. It taught me how to pitch executives. It taught me what the executives were looking for. So, so much came from that. After I worked on that show for an entire two years and then the season opener for a third year, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I definitely was experiencing burnout. It was taking over my life. I was working 80 to 100 hours a week and this was when that was allowed. Yeah, I was living and breathing that show and it started to really affect me. And so I was like, you know what? I've gotten into the Producers Guild. I've gotten really good experience. It'll be easy to get something else boy, was I wrong. So I moved out to LA and I'm like, I'm a producer and everybody's a producer in LA. Right. And I, like you were saying, I had people say, Oh, I work for the Dr. Phil show. I'm going to introduce you. Oh, I know this person. I know that person girl. It is a hustle. You've got to do it yourself. And so luckily I knew one person in LA and he got a production coordinator role and he got me on as an executive assistant. And so I took an executive assistant role to three established producers and I worked for them for two years and I networked and I applied to other roles. And my first gig that I got was six weeks on the road with VH1 as a field interviewer. And I was stoked. I was like, okay, I'm back. I'm on the production side, right? And I just ate it up. Again, it was like connecting with real people getting those people to talk to me and believe in me and tell me their stories. And it was fun. I was in my 20s. It was a great experience. And then when the show didn't get picked up, I've got no job, right? So what did I do? I went back to being a secretary. Thank God they loved me and let me take that six weeks little break because they wanted me to live my dreams too. And so, yeah, honestly, I wrote on the coattails of seasoned professionals most of my time in LA. Like you find a couple people that you work well with and you go from show to show with them. If I were to give anyone advice, it would be try working on different productions. Or do you want to be a script supervisor? Do you want to be an assistant camera? So many people, like I worked on a couple films for free just to be a script supervisor, just to try that, to see where my strengths were. And all of these experiences that I had have compounded. Now I am supervising podcast production. Now I am doing in-person shoots where I work with a videographer and I supervise the edit. Am I pushing the buttons? No, but I have worked as a post-production supervisor now. And so I know how the show needs to be cut together. I know what the video needs to look like. I know all of the elements that need to be included. Yes. And that's the fire I wanted to pull out of you, Rena, because each thing that you have done in your life, if you hear yourself talk, it's woven together. It interweaves and intertwines because everything that you did now builds on upon what you're doing now. Because had you not done those roles, you wouldn't know what it's like to do those roles or how to help people where you are now on the other side of the table, you know, giving out instructions, navigating, interviewing, podcasting, hiring, all of those things. So sometimes it goes to show people that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. You can't allow your ego to get the best of you because if your ego gets the best of you, you could very well be overlooked and you could always, you know, look over yourself as a gem because sometimes we have to lower ourselves and lower ourselves so we could gain the experience. And once we gain that experience, 
then we could begin to pitch ourselves into places that we wouldn't have dreamed of because we already know what goes into that. And the reason why I say that, Rena, I'm going to connect the dots here, is because whenever I started in oil and gas over 12 years ago, I started as an imaging clerk. All I did was scan papers all day long. Then I moved into project coordination. Then from there, I went into HSE, so health, safety, and environmental. Then I became the manager. Then it came time when, once I made my way up the ladder, my salary was capped out. There was that glass ceiling and there was nowhere else to go. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go work for the big boys, a Fortune 500 company. And boy, was I wrong. I thought since I had all this experience and knowledge that I would have you know, automatically be given a technical role because I left a manager role. Nope. I had to start all the way over as an administrative assistant. And sometimes people look at us as administrative assistants and they don't respect you because they think that you're low on the totem pole. But an administrative assistant or an EA executive assistant is the person that holds it all together. They're the glue. They know what needs to be done, who's who. They have access to calendars and all this other stuff. Then from there, I went on to raw material coordinator for polypropylene. So I worked in the chemical plant and I ordered all the raw materials that went into making a form of plastic called PP, polypropylene. Then from there, I did trade regulations and compliance coordination. I have no background in trade regulations or compliance. And I literally had to learn it on the go because it was either do that or don't have a job up until the point where I was laid off. But it goes to show you, if you put your mind to do something, you can do it. And sometimes it's not always what you want, but it's what you need in that season. And seasons change and we have to evolve as people personally and professionally. So ask yourself, am I too good for this or do I need to change my focal point and get the blinders off and see things from a different vantage point and then circle back around. And that's what I love about your story because you're a hustler, you're a go-getter, you're resilient, you have the grit. And sometimes people may not have always, you know, did what you did where the show wasn't picked up and they wouldn't want to go back to, you know, be a secretary or assistant because they're like, I'm hot. You know, why would I want to do that? But you did that and you network and connected with people who saw the qualities that you brought to the table and they strengthen your qualities by introducing you to somebody else. I just love everything that you just said. What's so interesting is I applied to a guy through the producer's guild. They had like an internal job board I applied to this guy for like an entire year. He's, he'd worked on so many great shows and he was a post-production producer. And so much of it is timing too, let me just tell you. So one day, like after I'd been driving this guy nuts for about a year, applying to him over and over, he probably recognized my name. He asked me if I could come in for an interview that night. And so I went in and he was like, look, I have a post-production supervisor role. It's a nighttime role. You're going to work from seven at night till seven in the morning. I need somebody literally just to supervise the editors and make sure the executives get their deliverables. He's like, here's a page. Can you do this? He's like, if you've produced the Jerry Springer show, like I have faith that you can do this. I was like, I'll be there. I had no post-production experience to the point where I didn't even know how to output a tape. But the thing is, is that I was working with people that were seasoned professionals. So you find out where you're needed. They'll tell you, they'll tell you where you're needed. And he gave me an outline of what I needed to do. You just ask people. Don't be afraid to ask people how you can help them. 
And I ended up working on Nanny 911 for three seasons. So the first season, I paid my dues. I worked third shift. I worked alongside all the editors. And what was great is I started doing little things like, hey, you didn't fill out your time card this week. You want me to just do it and you'll sign it? So I started doing little things like that. Or, hey, I noticed you've been working a really long time on that cut. You want me to grab you a coffee? What kind do you like? Just little things like that. Then they started like inviting me in their edit bays. And they're like, hey, will you watch this string out? I've been watching this same cut about 20 times in a row. Maybe you'll see something I don't see. What do you think of this? So they started like building trust with me and inviting me into their bay. And I was like, man, after working on that show for three seasons, I was like, I want to learn how to push the buttons. I know how to cut together the story. I know what the, the format of the show is. So when I was pregnant with my first kid, I decided to go back and learn Final Cut Pro. And I liked it so much. I took, I took it twice. And here's another thing that I've learned during the pandemic is... You know, I'm one of those people that like wants the result right away. Like I want to win the marathon right away, right? But like I had a fourth kid at 39 and an emergency C-section and a baby seven weeks early. You're not going to get back to doing CrossFit in two years. You're just not. It took a year for me to just recover from that trauma. And so you know what? Yes, I would like to run 30 minutes a day, but today I only got in 25 minutes before this interview and I still get a check on the calendar for that, right? It's doing things persistently and continuing to improve yourself, read 10 pages a day, run 25 minutes a day. The more you do that, it stacks up on itself. And I feel like this year for me has been letting go of wanting those results right away and just continuing to make consistent progress, learning new things, thinking about things differently, talking to people who had different experiences than I have. Yep. Just putting those little coins. I tell people get a piggy bank or get a coin jar. And every time you achieve a milestone or you check off a goal, drop something in that jar or that piggy bank and you will see how it builds up over time. Or even get yourself a gratitude jar. Start writing down the things that you're grateful for or thankful for on a sticky note and put them in the gratitude jar. And over time, you'll see how things build up because we have to celebrate those small wins as well as big wins. And you have to run your personal race and stop looking too far to the left or too far to the right on what everybody else is doing because it gets you off track and gets you focus on what they're doing versus focus on what you were born and created to do. Your purpose and your passion lies within you and you don't need anyone else to validate what you're supposed to be doing when you're a masterpiece yourself. And we have to really start taking control back and we have to set those boundaries. Boundaries are a good thing and we have to remain persistent as well as consistent. And you can't fade when it comes to your dreams, because if so, they just become a dream versus turning that dream into reality because you don't have a end date or a date next to that goal or dream. And I tell people, it's going to sound very vain when I say this, Rena, but how many people have their dreams in the graveyard because they were too afraid to ignite their purpose, their passion, destiny, calling, and assignment while they were here on earth because they were worried about imposter syndrome. They were worried about what their family members or friends would say, or they were worried about failing. Well, if you fail, fail fast and learn from that failure and pick yourself back up and keep on going. Because if you think about all the successful people, the millionaires, billionaires, and trillionaires, they all had start ugly moments. They all had failures and those failures turned into success. 
because they believed in themselves and they were not going to quit. A hundred percent. And and that's where I think my strength lies is that I do get back up. And my dad has been the one to push me to always try again. Look, another thing that you can think is if it doesn't happen when you want it to happen, maybe you didn't phrase it right. Or maybe you're not where you need to be for that to happen yet. You can try again later. Keep making yourself better. Keep moving forward. Keep trying new things, you know, maybe it wasn't the right time for it to happen and it can still happen in the future. I get rejections all the time. I mean, I can give you an example. My alma mater is doing a story on podcasters. And since my show says it's the safe space for controversy, they don't want controversy. And since I have an explicit rating, they wouldn't cover me. And I was like, wow, maybe that is a reason to think about my brand, think about how I'm marketing myself. I've actually had a couple guests even that didn't want to be on my show because they were worried about some of the stories that I've had on, but maybe I need to do a little tweak. Maybe I should pitch them in a different way. Maybe I should change my byline to something else that feels true for me, but also might resonate better with others, right? You've got to take the chance anyway, still reach out and tell them like, Hey, I've got this podcast and Hey, I've entered. Maybe I need to say, Hey, I've had the former CEO of Taco Bell on. I've had the CEO of Franklin Covey on. Maybe I need to tell them some of the stories that I've had and tell them the reason that I have the explicit rating is because I let my guests speak in a real way. Maybe they don't understand why I said controversy or why it's marked explicit. Maybe they need more information. Yeah, that's true. And then sometimes I'll also add, sometimes you may not necessarily be a good fit for that person right then and there, but later on when the timing has shifted, you're going to be a perfect fit for them. So see no as a new opportunity or next opening is how I've rephrased no, because it's hard when you get rejection. And sometimes you're like, man, is it me? And I'm like, no, it's not me. It's them. Like, I know what I bring to the table or whatnot. And then once you boost yourself up and you have that positive self-talk or you do that mirror work, it makes you feel good because sometimes we can allow ourselves to wallow in rejection because we're so busy. Why didn't they want me? Why don't they want my podcast? Why didn't I get that job or all that stuff? And all that time you're spending on the rejection, you could be spending it on the progression of where you're trying to go. I always like to say progression over perfection. And you could flip that no into something positive. Turn that negative into something that is positive. Turn the pessimistic into optimistic and live your life YOLO because you only live once and it's time to seize the day. And on this note, um, Rena, I want us to wind down by you telling us about Better Call Daddy. Aw, yeah. So like I mentioned at the beginning, my dad has always taught me to get back up. He has always been my biggest cheerleader. He's always who I call for advice. And I was like, you know what? I know he won't quit on me if we do this show together. I've co-hosted a podcast with someone else and life gets in the way, right? But my daddy is who I call every day. He's my best friend. And I think that he has a lot of wisdom and advice that he could share with the world. And so I interview guests. I do the marketing. I supervise the editor. I'm showing people what I can do there. And then I add my daddy's two cents at the end of every episode. And I let my audience ask him guests, ask him questions. 
That is amazing. And I just love that because I was hands down a daddy's girl and I wish I could call my daddy now. He passed last year, but I think about all the memories that me and my dad had and cultivate. So every time I see your name, better call daddy, it makes me literally light up because I think about how your dad is to you, what my dad was for me. So Rina, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers how they could connect with you and leave us with one or two gems. And remember, the mission behind this podcast is to educate, inspire, and motivate. So you can connect with me at LinkedIn, Rena Friedman Watts, or on Instagram, Rena Friedman Watts. My website is bettercalldaddy.com. And you can email me at rena at bettercalldaddy.com. And then your gems. My gems we're getting ready to go into the new year, right? So just don't say next year is going to be my year. Make every day your year. I think that so many people start reflecting at the end of the year, but we really need to take stock a little bit every day. Be grateful for what you have. Try something that you've always wanted to try and be patient with yourself. A little bit every day compounds and you will notice great, significant changes if you're just patient with yourself and you continue to better yourself a little bit every day. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kemp, and you just heard Rena Friedman Watts. All of her contact information will be in the show notes. And we definitely want you to start believing in yourself. Remember that you are a masterpiece. You were created for a purpose. You don't live in a box. So stop letting people place you in a box and you are here to create an imprint. Your imprint is going to drive your impact in order for you to be the world changer that you're destined to be. So stop living in the shadows of other people because being a carbon copy is not cool. I need you to be original. I need you to pop prepared on purpose. And I need you to level up and make those boss moves because there is a true genius inside of you if you tap into your own zone of genius. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day and subscribe to the podcast. Check out Rena, y'all. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.